We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Free agent bidding strategy and an update on our dynasty team. That's what we're going to be talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work over at Rotoviz. Sean, we mentioned on the last episode, our awesome producer, Colin Kelly, traveling for the uh, for the Packers game in London this week. Super excited for him to go get to see his favorite team. We are recording this on Thursday. We typically record Friday, do a little recap of Thursday Night Football. It has not been played yet. We thought it'd be fun to talk about some topics that are a little bit more kind of evergreen, or at least uh, one topic as it relates to the, the free agent bidding stuff. This was kind of the first big free agent week. Uh, there was a lot of discussions. It was the first time I'm doing a lot of co-managed teams. It's the first time I got into a lot of discussions across a lot of leagues where people wanted to bid good money on guys like Mike Boone, who, again, you know, as I noted, we were recording this on Thursday. We won't have seen what happened Thursday night. Um, but Caleb Huntley with, with Cordero Patterson going to IR for people in, in shallower leagues. I mean, you might've had Tyler Algier still available. Probably not since Damian Williams had gone down. Probably he's been added in most leagues of any, you know, real size, but uh, Huntley had a nice little stretch at the end of their week four game. And so he was a name that was pretty popular on waivers this week. You have some other players that are being dropped in leagues that I, I'm seeing some people get, you know, Put put some money out there for Kenny Pickett was another one, uh, you know, in the, in the quarterback market, even in single QB leagues that excitement on him varied a little bit. But we had some conversations about sort of how to approach waivers and what you're doing, especially in more competitive leagues, but what you're doing with your bids, how you're trying to manage that budget over the course of a full season. And it's a topic that maybe doesn't get talked about a lot, but there's a lot of nuance to. There is. And this was such an interesting week because the first month gave so few options compared to what we're used to that there are a lot of managers sitting on a lot of money and especially if you feel like you need to give your team a little bit of a boost you're anxious to get out there and spend because you know that as the season goes along every week you get closer to the playoffs you don't there's no guarantee there's ever going to be the guy where you want to make that $500 bid. And the longer that you wait, the less amount of time that you actually get to benefit from a, a good pickup. They're just not on your team as long. The flip side of it is that this week offered a lot of uncertainty because the guys who are going to go for a lot are not necessarily even the starters. They're not necessarily even the starters on a good offense. And that dynamic makes it tricky because you know that probably the bids are going to be higher than they otherwise would be for that dynamic we just talked about. The people want to make some moves. And so we look back on it, and I'm pulling up the FFPC waiver report tool on the site now. You have 1,555 pickups for Mike Boone. The average winning bid is 290, the median 272. Latavius Murray picked up in almost as many leagues, an average winning bid of 158, median winning bid of 134. In both of those cases, there was a, a high winning bid over 940. Then technically, there are just so many things going on here. The next guy picked up in 1,366 leagues, and I'm looking at the FPC and the main events combined here. 
the average winning bid 85 for him we were able to add him for two in our chasing stolen bananas team it 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 can't help but jump out to you that boone and murray the two highest added guys they're not the two most expensive players there are players who aren't as available in nearly as many leagues who went for more but both of these guys go for an average of more than 150 either of them actually could end up being the starter there's nothing that says that Melvin Gordon definitively blocks either one of them or that they definitively block each other. But if you look at Melvin Gordon's workload with Javante Williams, who is probably one of the five most talented backs in the NFL, if you're going to steal that much work from him, then it's hard for me to see Mike Boone and Latavius Murray being home run picks. So you've got the second and third string guys in an offense that has been disappointing they go for quite a bit. That could work out. What are your thoughts here on how we approach this? I think that some of it is just that it's new. And that's what I always try and fight against when I'm thinking about how I want to bid. The running back position especially is going to be so contingency-based. The play that we actually made in, in our league that we do with Pat and Pete and one, I think that Isaiah Pacheco was added 38, 39 times. So that's the number of leagues he was available and he's not going to be not added anywhere after he looked good in week four. I got him in both leagues. I did bid above the average. I felt comfortable with that because that Chiefs offense has created so many points for Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So even in that case, you're not getting a starter, but you have this contingency-based play where he could be what Penny, Michelle, Singletary were last year. Am I overstating the difference between his situation and these Broncos players situation in terms of thinking about how we want to structure the bids. Because if you make that bid of 550 or you make a bid of 300, either one of those is going to dramatically impact what you can do bidding wise the rest of the way. If there ever does come a time this year where there's a player who will immediately win games, which is not a case for any of those three guys. I mean, Pacheco is still going to be the backup. I mean, he could drop back down to third in the pecking order next week. I mean, he could fall behind Ronald Jones at some point this year. Definitely not a slam dunk. You add him, you're not going to be able to make a 900 bid later. There's going to be somebody in your league who can outbid you for the clear-cut winner later on in the season. So we, we have a lot of interesting things going on here. And that's not even getting to yet this idea of how do we structure our rosters and that your roster is going to make a pretty big difference on how you want to bid. Yeah, probably the biggest thing just from a high level standpoint is, you know, the size of your league, the depth of your benches and how you want to structure your roster in terms of, I mean, the biggest thing is that it's very league dependent how much you should bid. I mean, I I wrote about this uh, a a week or so ago over at Stealing Signals and did a long intro on on free agent bidding, you know, discussion and and how I think through it and one of my sort of rambling long winded thoughts processes but just sort of thinking through the whole concept of it and one of the biggest points i was trying to make is you know throughout the industry there's going to be recommended bid sizes in all of the articles that we have and and it's meant to be as helpful as possible and often those writers are you know laying out what the league size they're talking about is but there's just going to be so much variance between um between leagues in terms of how much should be bid. Cause the biggest thing is like, you know, if Isaiah Pacheco is available in an FFPC league, which like we're talking about now, you're talking about not probably a lot of opportunities similar throughout the rest of the year. In some other leagues, there are going to be players like Isaiah Pacheco available every single week, basically. And so that obviously changes the the math. We're, we're talking about an 18 or excuse me, a 20, player roster. Is it 20 player roster in FPC? Yeah. With the kicker and the D. So 18 typically roster spots for, you know, QBs and, and, and tight ends and running backs and receivers. And the QBs and tight ends are in a lot of these leagues going to be onesies. I mean, it is tight end premium. Sometimes you're going to carry a couple tight ends or whatever, but most teams are carrying at least 14 or so running backs plus receivers, which is a lot. You know, there's a lot of teams, a lot of people that are playing in fantasy leagues where there's only 15 or 16 roster spots total. And that includes kicker and defense in some cases. Way different discussion, right? But we're talking about a format where a lot of teams are going to carry, you know, 14 of just the running backs and receivers 
And I guess one quick thing on Pacheco we should talk about because we've been pretty in on still stashing Ronald Jones. I mean, I, I think, Sean, we're probably both in agreement here, but they they led throughout in this Tampa game and they let him get some run in the flow of the game and he ran effectively. He ran 11 times for 63 yards. He looked good. I mean, he, he ran effectively back in week one. Most of that was in garbage time against the Cardinals. But we've now seen this happen twice because in the, in the two weeks since, he only had five total carries and it wasn't really looking like anything was materializing for him thought in week four, that was the best we've seen from him, including really the preseason. He looked like a back. You could see, you know, using his size speed combo and all of those things to, to be an effective player in this offense. It's sort of the thesis that we've had from Ron Jones is that look, Clyde Edwards, Alaire, maybe not the best runner between the tackles or runner at all. And Isaiah Pacheco or Ronald Jones or whoever, one of these bigger, more physical backs could be the answer for some of the tough yards that they need to gain throughout the year. And he looked that he looked the part in this game for sure. And so it changed things a little bit. And, and certainly the same reasons that we've still been interested in Ron Jones, like do argue positively for Pacheco. And frankly, the reasons people are excited about Clyde Edwards Alaire, who's running incredibly hot and touchdowns. This is a, one of the best offenses in the league. They're going to generate touchdown opportunities for their backs. I think, the big thing for me with this Pacheco performance was I think we've, we've now gotten to a point where it's pretty clear that if CH were to have an injury, that Pacheco is going to get the run, at least on, on on the carries and on that side of it. McKinnon probably plays a lot on the passing downs, but Pacheco is going to – Ronald Jones is basically going to move into the Pacheco role where he's going to need to maybe outplay the starter to, to get more work. At this point, it's very clear, and – it maybe it was clear to some people when Ronald Jones was inactive in week one, but you know we thought there was this possibility that Ceh and Pacheco and and their their active backs weren't running effectively. That Ronald Jones would get an opportunity. We're now four weeks through. He's been Ronald Jones been inactive every single week. Pacheco very clearly solidifies himself as a part of that equation, and then I think a big part of the contingency equation. So he's in an offense like this, a really easy one to justify, I think, putting a lot of money toward. And, and Sean, you, I, you mentioned the median winning bid. Did you mention it was like in the 200s? I, I, I'm looking at that tool as well. And if it, we look at just the main events, you only got added in seven, but it was 505, the median winning bid. So you were right around the median. I know the one league we got and we were at uh, about 510 or something like that. I mean, right, right around that. It's much higher in the main event formats, which typically you're going to see a little bit sharper bidding strategy, I think. Um, as it relates to the Broncos, I mean, yeah, I, like we're, we're, we're sort of diving right into the player side of it. There's a lot of elements that go into bid strategy. Um, the player side of it, I think, is you have to be sure that the player's worth it. It doesn't really matter what the player's going to go for. I mean, I think we all kind of had a feel that Mike Boone was going to go for a lot. And again, we're talking about this on Thursday before they played on Thursday night. Maybe Mike Boone by the time you know all of you are listening to this has gone on to rush for 80 yards and two touchdowns and we're looking really stupid right now but i think as a bet it would still be interesting i think to, to think through what we were thinking during the bidding process as a bet you said what you know needed to be said about melvin gordon and i completely agree even though he's had all these fumbles they weren't benching him it took until the fourth fumble to for them to to kind of sit him down a little bit this week he's still this guy that's been a part of their offense throughout and has prior to that throughout his whole career been a part of every offense, right? And they like him. They like his veteran presence. They liked him in short yardage, various elements of his profile. They like you can even go back to the stuff that he played college football with Russell Wilson at Wisconsin. He is going to pretty clearly have a leg up on, and even though he's 29 years old, I mean, Mike Boone's 27. This is a guy who's kicked around the league, played on a lot of offenses, been active, been an active player, third back on a lot of different offenses and a special teams guy and basically never gotten extensive playing time in any of these offenses. He's shown flashes of big play ability, but for all we know, he's like a really, really poor man's Tony Pollard. I mean, that's kind of the idea is like, he might be a guy who gets X amount of snaps, but it's limited or the way that Tony Pollard has been used. I, you know, I think that Tony Pollard has the potential to be more, but limited number of snaps, high probably number of touches per snap where they're trying to look for a change of pace, big play element, but that's maybe like, you know, five to seven carries or whatever alongside Gordon. But as you noted, they immediately brought in Latavius Murray too. And so that adds to the equation. So when we're sitting there trying to make these decisions this week, and some people were higher on Murray even than Boone, 
you do have to analyze the situation in front of you, not just what the market is going to do. The market was going to be very excited about the potential to add running backs in a backfield where, you know, this is the first major running back injury we've had this year where the guy goes down, he's the clear starter and he's out for the year. And now there's this uncertainty in the backfield for the rest of the year. But they do have a guy in Melvin Gordon who's there that looks like he's going to be the lead of some probably type of committee. But I would say Melvin Gordon's range of touches, and again, we might look stupid. I might look stupid saying this right now, but um, range of touches pretty much extends from like half of them to 80% of them. And, and you know, the low end is it's there's half, he's only getting half of them. And then the other half are probably split between Boone and Murray and then some type of three back committee, but Gordon's still the lead. And the high end is like the backups don't even really matter unless Gordon gets injured as well. And even then, does it matter? And so thinking through, I guess, the various possible outcomes and, and whether these guys are worth the, the bids, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I, I felt like there was a pretty big gap between Pacheco when you think back to all of the offseason hype and what he's done so far and how he's managed to be on the active roster all four games and been playing a little bit and working into some rushing work and been effective when he's done that. Um. And then you think through to Boone, who's just been like a guy on the roster for the last couple of years that hasn't really ever gotten an opportunity. There's no real reason to be excited about Mike Boone. One way to think about it is to kind of work through in your head where you think these guys would be drafted if you were to redraft your league right before week five. And when you think about where running backs go and the value of the backups in a split backup situation i mean pacheco is probably back to being close to that hyped range that he hit whereas backups for the broncos and we don't know for sure but they probably i mean still they're going to come very late in an actual draft the fact that javante williams gets hurt and is out for the year it just creates such a dynamic emotional moment for everyone Maybe that shifts things a little bit more. One of the things that I like to do when I'm betting in these high stakes leagues is to go in and put bids in for all of the guys because there are going to be some leagues where the other managers all assume that the player is going to go for what he goes as in the average in all leagues. It's not necessarily going to happen in yours. So you're able to get a Caleb Huntley for two in some of these situations. But... Otherwise, I'd like to make most of the bids either high enough to win or pass on the players. I don't want to get caught price enforcing, I guess. I don't want to get caught with $60 and $70 bids for players who the difference between them and the $1 bids is very minimal. What you have to bid to get them. I mean, you can think through what you have to bid to add them to your roster, but the likelihood that they survive to the next week on your roster is actually very similar to the $1 and $2 bids. You can make a lot of transactions. You can make a lot of bets if you continue to churn the last two or three spots with a lot of players as opposed to churning them with the 60, 70, 100, 150 types of bids. But you can only do a handful of those really across the course of the entire season, especially if you're trying to do some things like churning the Defensive position, we've already had plenty of kickers get injured. You're going to have to make some moves at those spots as well. And then it leads us back into the roster structure. In most of the cases, you don't want to be the winning bid on a player above one or two. Unless you think that that player has the upside to be in your playoff starting lineup or the player is going to be in your starting lineup this week. So if you have a team and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to make the playoffs. I want to win my league and I want to finish in the top 50, say in the FFPC race for the million dollars. I mean, obviously you want to win. We want to win. We want to win the million. But if you're thinking through what you need to do to finish in the top 50, to be a contender, is there a reason to add a player who isn't going to play for you this week and you, it, can't really see how they would be in your lineup 
as you're making that race. Now, that's not to say that we can see the future. I mean, there are going to be some people who, I think, very realistically say that Sony Michelle probably really fits into that range where you would prefer not to play him in the shootout, even though he ended up being a guy who scored a lot of points last year. You have someone like a Justin Jackson who has a big game at a key moment. Maybe Mike Boone or Latavius Murray is that guy. I don't think he can be probably the Sonny Michelle, though maybe they can. Maybe they could be the Justin Jackson. But we're talking about such low probabilities for that type of thing in terms of what you would need to know, the circumstances that would have to exist late in the season. And in many cases, even the hole you would have to have in your roster to plug a Justin Jackson in, in that case. I think sometimes it's easy to get caught up in bidding for points because these guys are going to score points. And maybe there's some benefit in blocking somebody else in your league. But other than that week when you actually play that team, the key thing that you're trying to do is block your opponents from the guys with a ton of upside and to score the most points yourself, which means creating the best roster for your team. Points on your bench that are always going to be on the bench don't factor in that much. Now, we do have some teams based on the zero RB types of builds where maybe a Boone or a Murray would slide in this week. If you're in that situation, then I think it makes sense to go after them. And we may be not that far away from that, even on some of the teams where right now we have the two because the bye weeks are coming up. But for me, that's an easy rule of thumb to think about it is if you're not going to play the guy this week and you're not going to play the guy in the shootout, then you probably want them to be guys you get at one or two because other people in your league miss out. A name we were talking about before the show, Mark Ingram, somebody who wasn't available in nearly as many leagues, but was available in some. We were able to add him in some. His situation probably not a lot different, but it's a lot less provocative because it didn't come with some catastrophic you know, full season injury. Yeah, and he was added... In 26 leagues, his median bid was only $35. I mean, there's a case that he was a better ad than Mike Boone, just purely on the sense that Latavius Murray is now not backing him up. He's backing Mike Boone up for the number two role in Denver as opposed to the number two role in New Orleans. You know, I'm not going to go to bat for Mark Ingram, but the leagues where I noticed he was available definitely added him to some of our waiver claims this week. You mentioned to me you did the same on some of the leagues that we're not playing together, and you wound up grabbing him in a couple of leagues for a dollar or two dollars. I think one of the, the the rule of thumb thing you were saying makes perfect sense in terms of like those are the players that are worth bidding more than a dollar or two dollars for. You can still churn players, but in a lot of cases, it doesn't make a ton of sense to be bidding in those middle ranges. That's something we talked about sort of before the show. And one of the, the points that you made to me that I thought was really interesting was we were talking about the Pacheco bid being around 500 and the Boone bid being around 300 in a lot of leagues to get him. And in the main events, their median winning bids were 505. I think I said it was and 329 for Boone. So, you know, it's basically the median winning bids Pacheco, you know, available in a lot fewer, but that $200 gap. One of the things he said to me is you can make that up by just not having a bunch, you know, four $50 bids throughout the year and instead having one or $2 bids. And I don't think probably we think through enough that that $50 gap, because there's a lot of people that I'm playing with and it's like, oh, well, you know, people might put in 20, 30, $40. So we should put in 50. There's a lot of times you win a guy for 55 and no one else bids or they bid a dollar. And I mean, that's just 5% of your budget that, that didn't matter, you know, and and then the question is like the, the other point that you made, like was was five percent of your budget worth it for that player? Because is that player gonna be on the chopping block a week from now? The other implication from what you said was just a willingness to play into the uncertainty, which we talk about in so many ways. But like, is this player that is the best pickup this week going to look like the best use of that roster spot next week when we have whoever the best pickups are next week? And yes, this is the first time we've had excitement over players on waivers. The first time we've had like the clear injury situations. Caleb Huntley, again, another one, which was a reaction to Cordero Patterson going down. Obviously, Damian Williams had previously gone down in that backfield. So we have a lot of opportunity available in Atlanta. But one of the things we talked about through the first three weeks was how it was sort of irregular that we didn't have a lot of opportunities like that. And there will be more. I mean, in, in some respects, it's easy to say it's wrong 
and I wrote about this, it's wrong to just sit and save all your money for that time when you're going to be able to blow it all on one player because those players don't always come along. But that doesn't mean you blow it on the first opportunity you have to grab a player that looks something like the type of player that we might want. You still have to have, you know, put your analyst hat on. You're talking about where, what would these players go for in drafts. You brought up Sonny Michel. At the end of draft season, when Sonny Michel was at, was with the Chargers and you had Michel and uh, Joshua Kelly both going really late in drafts, you know, as the, and everyone was actually pretty excited about the Chargers offense. I think, again, if you're drafting now, you're first of all, you're less excited about the Broncos offense. But even if you are optimistic about what they will become, and we've been cautiously optimistic about that on this show, I think you're right. I think Melvin Gordon is, I don't, you know, I don't know how high he's going at his age. Maybe he's going in the fourth round or something, but um, he's going pretty high because he's looking like the lead back at this point in an offense. And then Mike Boone and Tavis Murray are both going in that 15th round or later range because there's not a lot of certainty about who would even be the next back. Now, one of the arguments I heard was that there's a possibility because of Gordon's fumbles and things that Mike Boone is just the guy. And again, maybe we'll be surprised on Thursday Night Football and this whole discussion will, will not age very well at all. But the team had already said before waivers locked, you know, I think the, the comment was obviously, you know, Melvin Gordon's going to carry the load. Obviously, was it the head coach? Was it Hackett or the offensive coordinator? I, I can't recall, but one of them had made that comment that like, you know, obviously Melvin Gordon's going to be a big part of this. and. So we'd already gotten an indication from the team that the fumble stuff, they were going to give him another chance. And he can fumble again, and, and that could be a problem. But they don't have Javante Williams anymore to then say, we're just going to give the ball to Javante Williams. They have to go to Mike Boone or Latavius Murray. That's a different equation. And they were already, I think, in from what they've shown, willing to, to deal with a, a decent number of Melvin Gordon's fumbles. I was arguing they should have been you know, potentially sitting him down earlier from the first three fumbles and giving Javante Williams more of the work. At any rate, you still have to consider whether the player in the given week is worth the money, and then be willing to understand that in the future and in, in the you know the uncertainty that comes, there will be more opportunities, and those guys might look better than Mike Boone did this week, and they very likely could look better than Mike Boone one week from now if Mike Boone gets a bad outcome on Thursday night, which, again, we don't know, but... Melvin Gordon gets most of the work this week and Mike Boone gets five touches and, and Latavius Murray gets three and they split eight touches behind Melvin Gordon. Whoever the most popular running back is next week is going to look better than Mike Boone. And you're going to be like, well, maybe I need to churn Mike Boone again. And so there's that element where, you know, making these types of bids without recognizing that uncertainty as well, that that, that is coming is a problem. But I, I, I like your, general strategy and philosophy and, and thinking through this idea of like the bids either need to be really big or really small. That's something you've always talked about. And we've done a lot of these leagues in the first few times, you know, you felt that way and, and we were doing leagues together. I, I kind of questioned it. I think the very common thing I see with a lot of the people I play with is to be a lot more willing and content to just be in this like $50 bid range, like 5% of the budget. If you're in a hundred dollar league, and make a bunch of $5 bets throughout the year. And, I mean, I, there are scenarios where that can make sense. We talked about before the show, single QB leagues, a lot of times the quarterbacks, even the best quarterback ads are going to go for 30 or 40 or 50 bucks. so you can certainly justify putting a little bit of money on that. But a lot of the times you're just burning 5% of your budget on a bet that's not much different than the $1 or $2 bids. And so – yeah, I mean, the, like I said, the first times you were talking through this with me, it, like I, I was like, well, you know, I don't know how that seems too extreme. And all I can really say is over the couple of years that we've been doing, you know, the big leagues that we've done and, and seeing the way these things have played out. I mean, I, I definitely buy into it a lot more. I think you find yourself a week later, a lot of the time realizing this player that you spent 50 bucks on or 100 bucks on is not a guy that you even want to be holding again the next week. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And you mentioned the different positions and how those interact in a way that are, are very separate from each other. One of the things that you will note is that the peripheral wide receivers who are coming off of a big week, those guys are going to be bid on by one or two managers in your league. And a huge percentage of the time, they overpay by 100 or 200. Now, there may be situations where that makes sense. So it comes back to your individual roster. If for whatever reason you got yourself in big trouble at wide receiver and you want to go ahead and chase the points and the volume of that particular player and hope that it's the start of something, because every once in a while it is. And especially if you need the points, if you need someone who's a legitimate guy who's going to go out there and run 70% of the routes in a good offense and you bid 150 and nobody else bids, which happens all the time. You may say to yourself, that's a, a perfect use of that 150 because the main thing was I wanted to have them. It's key for my roster this week. If it's not key for your roster that week and you bid the 150 and nobody else bids, I mean, it's, it's a pretty big waste because not only did you waste 150 over you know one, then you're actually going to move on from that player before you ever use them. So your own roster is going to come into situation there and the position is going to come into play. The receivers who go for more are going to be the guys like a Wondell Robinson or a Rondell Moore or a Kadarius Tony, where their manager couldn't sit on them because they needed to make moves. But there's a possibility that that player actually does factor into somebody's lineup during the playoff portion of the contest. I feel good about bidding on them. And if I overbid by 100, if I bid 250 and the next bid is 150, then I like the fact that I had that margin to work with. You, you always like it when you hit it perfectly. I had a, a bid this year where I bid 554. The next highest bid was 553. But even then, I immediately messaged you and said, we'll see if it's good or bad. That player had a bad week the next week and then got hurt. And so there'll be cases where you bid perfectly in terms of what your objectives are. And it still is very negative for you. Because number one, you would have preferred just to have somebody else in in the first place. And you prefer to have the 554 back. Bidding perfectly doesn't solve the future and that's one thing that we want to make sure we emphasize you don't know what's going to happen and you can't feel like you have this oracular ability to say that for sure but your bidding technique needs to help you accomplish your objectives that's the very first thing you can do and that's the thing that you can control you mentioned some of these other positions and i think that that's worth a quick run through and for people who are in leagues that don't have the same bidding patterns you can at least take what we're talking about here and apply the big picture strategy to the patterns in your league. So the running back bids are just going to be purely high on whoever the flavor of the week is. The wide receiver bids are going to go to the one or two managers who need to fill that position this week. The quarterback bids, a lot of people are going to be churning their backup spot looking forward to the buys and if they have a quarterback committee then trying to make sure that both parts of the committee are as strong as they can be so you're going to get a lot of bids in that 1 to 50 range and like you mentioned it might make sense to go to a 75 if you need it kicker is going to have a lot of bids in the 1 to 15 range and so if you have to have a Harrison Bucker when he comes back then you bid 17 right that's not one where you necessarily go for one but you're going to go Harrison Bucker at 17 and then four guys at one because if you don't get your option, I mean, you don't want to have seven guys in there at seven. You're going to get the fourth or fifth guy and you're going to have wasted six. You have a little bit of that same dynamic at defense where you're going to get the defense probably down a little bit. But unless you had a team that you wanted to hit that you bid 15 on, you bid one. And, and all of those do add up during the course of the season and allow you to make bigger bids on the players that you absolutely have to have. Then the other interesting element of the QB deal, which I, I, there are so many ways to play QB 
And I, I wouldn't say that there's a right way. I, I like to play QB like three or four different ways, not just one way in all of my leagues. We talked in an earlier show this week about the injuries that we've dealt with at quarterback and how it's put us way behind in total points in some of these formats. Obviously, we're hoping to catch those up. But it also kind of leads into this bidding element too and this roster construction element. If you get to this point in the season and you don't have one of the elite QBs, I don't mind going to three QBs for a week or two even though you say, well, that's that's a loss of a crucial roster spot. But if you don't have a star, I think we're still in the portion of the season where you want to see how some of these guys are going to do. Now, I mean, one of the things about an NFL game is that it gives you unique results that don't necessarily carry over. You're going to need a lot more information before you know about a Geno Smith or a Jerry Goff, a Marcus Mariota, those types of players. But every week gives you more information about who maybe has a, a floor that's workable in an offense. We did the, the haves and the have-nots, and you had a great breakdown of that. Each additional week gives us a sense of how these teams might play it from a run-pass perspective, how fast they might play. Those things are going to impact the ceiling and the floor for quarterbacks who are more in that 15 to 25 range. You add that third guy to the, your roster, you see more. It also helps you avoid the landmine. If we could go back and get rid of the Marcus Mariota week four landmine, that would be very helpful. As you're looking forward, though, there are going to be some more landmines. If you don't have an elite QB, maybe roster three so you can see how it works. And the great part about it is that the 20th player you're rostering probably isn't going to hit this week anyway. Now, they might, and it could be that like this is the Ronald Jones week. And, and it just, you know, it blows your mind because you, you stashed Jones, you stashed Jones, then you took that third QB so you could watch another week's worth of play. And this was the week Clyde Dodger gets hurt, or they randomly make him active and he has an 80 yard run. Again, you can't see the future, but you can roster three QBs for a week. And then the week after that, go back to the two quarterback situation and take that week's running back and plug them back in. So it's not like you're taking three for the whole season. You're taking one week where you're down a roster spot to get important intelligence. And then the week next week, you go back to stashing the runners and continue to churn the bottom of your roster. And so you're talking about using the bottom of your roster as smart bets for what that roster needs at that point in time. In, in the case of the QB points, we talked about it on, on an earlier show, got a lot of great feedback that people Really liked my lamenting, my my lack of quarterback points in some leagues, and in part because it, it helped them understand some of you know their their tough starts, or they had been noticing that and 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 just felt the same way. Um, and that's something, yeah. Like if that's the problem with your roster, like you got to solve it. That isn't like you have to be creative in fantasy football. It's something we talk about a lot on here, where like we have a lot of heuristics and things that we try to follow and think through, but. If QB points is the problem that your team, your roster needs to solve, then you can devote a little bit of extra resources to it. And that might mean, like you were just describing, it might mean cutting Ronald Jones, who's like probably a fairly easy cut to make that bet. It might even mean cutting in some shallower leagues some players that um, have even more potential or more upside. But because you need to construct your roster a certain way to give the roster spots to a different position, that is a bigger demand because if you don't solve that quarterback puzzle in the next couple of weeks you're going to keep taking those low quarterback points and by week seven you're going to be done like you're, you you for some of my rosters our rosters sean some of the other teams figuring out quarterback is the pressing matter for a one and three roster it has to happen and it has to happen quick and so it, do, it doesn't matter if it's even a little bit of a better running back as long as the bet that you're making at quarterback makes sense as well. Cause again, we get back to this idea of you have to analyze the bets independently. Kenny Pickett's a guy we really liked this week. Um, he's one I wanted to get basically anywhere, even if it meant carrying a third quarterback, because I, there's enough uncertainty there. He looked pretty good in his first half of actual gameplay, really solid yards per attempt. The interceptions weren't really on him. I think the offensive situation could elevate him. We've talked about him a bunch. And he had good numbers in the preseason. I never thought this guy was a good prospect at all. He's a late bloomer. We don't typically like these types of rookie QBs. Takes until like his fifth year to even be on the NFL radar, basically. But that doesn't mean that he can't be a late bloomer. I mean, we see a lot of NFL QBs who take a lot of NFL reps before they start to develop into what makes them good. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick's the one that always comes to my mind. That guy was not a very good quarterback for a lot of years. And then started 
to understand how to play the position more, when to take shots. He still was turnover prone, but was very vertical with passes. Started playing a really exciting brand of football that actually made him better for the teams that he was on. It took him 10 years into his career to figure that out, but that's part of the why we wanted him to see, you know, his career elongated as much as it could because he actually started to play, you know, pretty, pretty good and fun and exciting football late in his career. We see that with, you know, whatever, Kurt Warner, you know, like you can throw, that's such an old and cliche one to throw out, but this guy played in the arena league and, and later in his career, he's a, he's an MVP in the, in, you know, the NFL. There are guys that take more reps. Quarterback's a tough position to play. So anyway, we, we do know that being good young in college matters, but we also know that quarterback analysis is tough. And so for a player like Kenny Pickett, it, it's very possible this guy needed until his fifth year to, to click. And whatever clicked, he's still able to carry over. It's not an out of the question, right? And so the uncertainty is something to bet on there. And if he does hit some type of a ceiling or some type of a positive outcome in the situation he's in in Pittsburgh, he could be an answer to a quarterback problem that – justifies holding another player. There are players that are out there that I don't think justify holding additional quarterbacks, a third quarterback on a roster. But this gets back to one of the things, and a lot of what you were just saying gets back to one of the ways that I tried to describe it in that Stealing Signals right up last week or a couple of weeks ago, whenever it was, which was I, I have come to think of FAB, free agent bidding money, as – a series of bets you get to make over the course of a season. If you have a thousand dollars, you get to make a thousand dollars worth of bets and you get to decide how much you want to put on each of these bets. And so what we're talking about with Pacheco and Boone and what you're talking about with your heuristic of, are they startable this week or are they potentially startable in the, in the playoffs is whether these big bets are, are worth being a big chunk of your series of bets for the year, right? Like, if you're making a $500 bid, that's going to be one of your biggest bets in this series of bets that you're making. And I think you need to be pretty sure that that's a bet that has the type of upside that justifies using a big portion of your budget for. Similarly, even if you're making small bets, if you're making $50 bets on a $1,000 budget, you got to make sure that the 5% you're spending justifies being 5% of your overall pool of bets for the year. Or is that, as you said to me prior to the show, better use this potentially 25 other waiver claims that are $1 or $2 claims, right? Or, two, you know, $2 claims. And I think as you were talking through the roster churn at the back of the roster, it's the same thing. We're like, yeah, you might miss out on Rojo this week, but this week you decided your roster, the bets for your bench needed to be at quarterback. And then next week you can get off of the three QBs and get back to more running back bets. And you might miss out on Ronald Jones and that's going to be tough, but you'll have another running back bet similar to him that you can make next week essentially the idea is you don't want to be too attached to the individual players you're making a lot of different bets throughout the year with the back end of your roster and it was the same idea that you know of how i'm trying to think through the fab stuff where the probably the the right way to to do fab if there is a right way in these deeper leagues especially is to have a few really large bets and then a lot of really small ones. And you have a portfolio where you have quantity, but you also have quality. And your overall series of bets is not, you know, certainly not worse in the league. And it's probably one of the better ones in the league. I think the worst case scenario is that people waiting for that big bet that don't spend any money. And then when that big bet comes, there's other people that are trying to bid on that too. There's no guarantee you're going to get that player. You don't end up getting that player. Even if it does come, sometimes it doesn't even come. And you wind up going the whole year and not using your money. And then late in the year, you're using 30% to add somebody who's not even relevant. So you don't get anything out of that series of bets. Your series of bets is nothing at that point. So in that regard, when you think about it that way, locking in some of these big bets early on, like an Isaiah Pacheco, who you feel at the point you're making the bet is a bet worth making, you're at least guaranteeing you're not going to have the worst outcome. You're making some bets. You're doing something with your money throughout the year and throughout the series of options that you get. But then the other side of it is, the idea of on a player like a Mike Boone, the whole discussion is, is he worth being one of the big bets? Because another bad scenario is you spend your money, but you spend it on players that aren't actually worth being a big chunk of your overall series of, of waiver bets for the year, right? And so basically, I think what we're arguing is that Mike Boone probably wasn't worth being that big of a chunk of anyone's budget for the year for where he was going i mean some people were able to get him for pretty cheap 
there are ways you can let guys slip through. You mentioned there's leagues where we got Caleb Huntley for $2 and we got to make that bet from this week. One of the guys this week at a really low price. And that's the best of both worlds, obviously. I mean, we'd love to have him as a portfolio, a part of our portfolio of waiver bets for the year, while also not giving up much of our overall portfolio in terms of allocation to make that bet. Sure. Fine. There's a wisdom of the crowds element that is always in play. And if a lot of people think these guys are going to be good, maybe we're the ones that are wrong on it. But Boone, I think when you really sit and look at him and think critically through it, is one that probably didn't justify being such a big part of uh, a series of bets for the year. He's probably not going to be one of the top five best plays at the point that the play was made on waivers for this season. Maybe that's a misanalysis, but that's what you kind of have to think through in terms of whether or not you're willing to make the bets. And then the last thing you said, or was one of the first things you said, but this idea of overbidding, if it's a guy that you think is actually worth being a series of part of this series of bets, you talked about Wandell, Kadarius, Tony, Rondell Moore, Sky Moore is a guy I've seen cut in some of these even deeper leagues and certainly in some shallower leagues that fits, I think, could be a big part late. And in some respects, it sounds like we have a bias towards the player that players that we are interested in the offseason, but there's a reason for that because the reason even Pacheco was getting a lot of buzz in the offseason and Mike Boone wasn't, that data still matters. The, the reasons that those guys were relevant then work into what their profile is here in week four. Same with Wandale, same with Sky Moore as rookie profiles, what they could be, even though things haven't gone great for them so far. So we are sort of having a bias towards players that were worth you know, drafting in draft season. We're pretty confident those players still have something close to the upside we thought they did in August. And if they do, then they are worth being part of that series of bets and a big chunk of that series of bets that you're making for the year. They're a good bet. They have upside. And so wanting to, to the willingness to overbid on them is just an element of like, okay, you can guess at what the market's going to bid on them and you can put a bit a little higher than what you think the median's going to be. And you're giving yourself maybe a 60% chance of getting them. The way I think through the overbids is you don't know what the 11 other people in your league are going to do. Certainly if you're in a home league and you've played with these people for long enough, you're going to have some feel for it and you can play that to your advantage. But the idea is, okay, rather than just bidding above the median and, you know, as I think through FFPC leagues, which are a little bit more anonymous, we have a feel for what is going to happen across all of the leagues, but not in each individual league. There's going to be some high ones. There's going to be some low ones. I'm thinking through it as if it's a player, I don't really care about getting sure. Putting in a blocker pit around the median or whatever can make some sense. If there's a, but if it's a player, I mean, Sean, you basically argued if it's a player, you don't really care about getting to then just put a really low bit on them. And, and hopefully you only get them if they go really low. But if it's a player that you really think makes, sense as a bet for your roster rather than going just above what you think the crowd's going to do right above the median bid and being in that you know 60 percent likely to get the player what you're talking about with the overpays is being willing to say i need to get this guy i want him as a part of my portfolio bets for the year you know with kenny pickett this week i have some teams that basically only need quarterback points and so i was willing to go you know 150 200 because while i thought those were going to be dramatic overpays in almost every league that that team, 15% or 20% of the budget, making the best possible quarterback bet right now, that's what that team needed. And that was the best use of that portion of that series of $1,000 of bets for the year. And so taking that 60% likely to get the player up to 99% is worth it to, to lock in the bet that, that that roster needed, right? And so as you're talking about, yeah, you wind up overpaying and you knew you were going too high. I don't think about it as, that as a bad thing. I think about that as I took a 60% likelihood bid and made it a 90% likelihood in a lot of cases. And I'm comfortable knowing that in most cases, because I wanted to make it a 90% likelihood that I got this player. In most cases, I'm probably going to overbid by $100. But I wanted to make sure, even if somebody else got a wild hair, that I'm going to go over top of that, right? And so it's the, the probability and whether the bid is worth it for your series of $1,000 of budget, of, for, for your series of bets for the year, is that player worth 20% of your budget? Does he make that much of an impact for your roster? Is that the bet that you want to make? Then don't worry about the other bits. You know, so, it's sort of my thought is it's, it's okay to be well above and not trying to wrangle out every dollar in those instances because you need to make that bet to, to have a competitive team. Exactly. And you mentioned Sky Moore there, one of our frustrations this week. We did go more around where we thought he would go in a league where we had eight pretty decent wide receivers. You get to the ninth, you block other people. 
you, st- you don't know how many people are going to get hurt or how you're going to deal with the buys, but we did get outbid on that one. I think about 115 to 106. So that is disappointing. If we had had six good wide receivers instead of eight good wide receivers, we would have bid more in the 220 range to do exactly what you say, which is make sure that you're going to get that 50 to 100 margin, lock the player in, make sure you have them on your roster. The other thing that I think you can do, and it, it does take a little bit of time to go through and put these bids in, but if you have players that you really want to cut and you're thinking from that perspective, I want to make an ad that offsets that. It again goes back to, is the ad going to play this week or do you have an injured player or a player you're very frustrated with that you know that you want off your roster? One of the best feelings in bidding is to land somebody for one and have them go on to be the league winner. Putting in those $1 bids as the look ahead bids, the bids of not who's going to be the popular guy this week, but who's going to be the popular guy next week. That's the way to keep yourself from overbidding is to have those three or four guys in there. So, you know, you're going to get somebody, you know, you have somebody that you're excited about watching to see what they're going to do. Maybe it's somebody really deep, like Hassan Haskins, maybe in a shallower league. It's someone who is, you know, higher in the pecking order, like a Dontrell Hilliard, but you make that bet on a player in a situation that you think is interesting and on a talent that you think has the ability to blow up. If you read stealing signals, then obviously you've got a great sense of who those look-ahead players are. I'm writing the zero RB playbook this year at Rotoviz, and one of the elements in that column is specifically who are going to be players who could be next week's hot waiver wire pickup. Obviously, you don't hit on all of those. If it were obvious who those guys were going to be, they would just be this week's waiver wire guy. But exactly like Ben just mentioned you know who the talents are you know who the offenses are you know in many cases what the ranking of the players for their team is and you can see how a young player breaking out or an unfortunate injury would create a player where the next week they're going to go for 300 350 you continue to stack the 18th 19th 20th guys on your roster with those types of players you have really similar upside for very, very little price. And again, that gives you the opportunity to make that big at the end of the season or whatever point it comes in where you want to get your guy, you can do it. Then I've had so many situations in which that free agent pickup was the player who determined a high spot overall in a tournament. If you have a lot of teams and you have a lot of co-managers, sometimes it can feel like work on Wednesdays, but it's also a very fun part of playing fantasy football is to go through and look at the finer final bidding results. And you get that little thrill every time that you see your team's name next to the player and the pickup. That's just a great part of every week. Yeah, that's definitely a blast. Hopefully we, one of the things that I I don't think people talk about fab strategy enough because it's like, it's a hard thing to talk about. And I feel like I went really long on the last segment where I was talking, but like, Look, you can talk about it for hours, you know, and, and really peel back the layers of the onion. It seems very simple and straightforward. And yet, I mean, we, hopefully we've peeled back some of the layers and, and helped some people. But, Sean, we wanted to talk about our dynasty team a little bit today. We have talked about it a lot for the longtime listeners since we did the startup. Last offseason at the, uh, over at FFPC, the Rotoviz Triflex Leagues, which are an absolute blast. You can start the five wide receivers. It's the, Super flex format, you have tight end premium in there. You have three receiver slots and two flexes on top of the super flex. So when you get the you know the receiver heavy teams like we like, you can start the five receivers, two quarterbacks, a tight end premium, and you don't really have to pay attention to running back at all. It's super fun. Uh, we do have Saquon Barkley on this team, though. We have Rashad Penny and Damian Harris on this team. Kyler Murray and Derek Carr are quarterbacks. And then just a ton of young receivers and tight ends. And the team's been doing really well. We haven't made a single pickup this year for the, the longtime listeners who have been listening to it. We had to cut down to 20 roster spots and got rid of um, some guys we didn't necessarily want to get rid of, including like Debo Samuel and traded for future picks and things to cut down to 20 roster spots. And we basically haven't been able to cut anyone in season either. So we've just been riding out this roster. We're sitting on our $1,000 of fab. This is a league in a format and dynasty where 
there's a you know a much bigger opportunity cost of churning and, and just getting rid of players if they're long-term holds. And so we might actually be that team that goes the whole year. It doesn't do any bids. It doesn't use their, their series of bets for anything, but a really deep, fun roster that's doing well. I uh, wanted to give a quick update on that. We are sitting at three and one and excited about how that's going. Any big uh, takeaways about this roster show? Well, this has been the benefit of the depth. And when you build that depth, having a chance to wait out some of the young players to overcome some of the busts. I'm looking at our bench at wide receiver right now. And we do have four wide receivers in the starting lineup. We also have Gerald Everett slotted in this week. He has been, uh, I think, the good news in many cases and in many ways to offset the frustration of Kyle Pitts having Gerald Everett and being able to look at his name on so many rosters has been a lot of fun. I guess I'm still skeptical that he can keep it up. He did have a bad drop in the second half of last week's game and was not nearly as involved afterward, probably just random, but it doesn't help your quarterback when he sees you make that play. His touchdown early on, very dynamic. He more or less looks like a big wide receiver out there and big wide receivers we know can be very big pieces of the red zone offense, especially when you're catching those passes from Justin Herbert. But our bench wide receivers, DJ Moore, he's the bust. KJ Hamler, he's the injury recover guy. We got the long pass to him last week. Hopefully that leads to more. Rondell Moore is both the injury and potential breakout player. David Bell is the middle round wide receiver rookie. A player we have high hopes for. He's done a few things. He's flashed a little bit the last couple of weeks. I mean, to say he's flashed is to look at it through... I'm in love with David Bell eyes, but yeah, we have a very similar player in Romeo Dobbs, who's you're not going to mention because you're telling uh, our, our bench receivers, but he's in our starting lineup now. So like that's the the long term idea for for Bell, right? We hit on the other one. Yeah, Romeo Dobbs is even beyond the the. Well, I won't go into that. Romeo Dobbs has been amazing. Sky Moore, another breakout, and then Tyler Boyd, a little bit of the veteran coverage. If you need that, we haven't really. We are also stashing Mike Gesicki there. I like to have those contingency play based players on the bench. One of the nice things in dynasty is that even though those players aren't contributing, you can probably trade a lot of them in interesting moves. If you actually do need to shore the roster up in the mid season, or as you go toward the fantasy playoffs, if you have similar performers who are older, obviously they have absolutely no value, but with this lineup and you mentioned that you don't have to start that many running backs, but you do still value or benefit from if you get a lot of points from the guys who are out there and Saquon has been the real hit this year last week very promising signs again from Damian Harris but especially from Rashad Penny then the thing that we've been discussing between the two of us but then also obviously with our league mate who has Dalvin Cook is whether it makes sense for us to move DJ Moore a disappointing player and a player that we talked about during our wide receiver dynasty ranking show sometimes these guys can actually have a, a lot less value than it seems like their age is not the full benefit that it seems it, it actually ends up being a little bit of a trap but we like dj Moore. i mean at some point everybody else is going to be gone but dj Moore is still going to be around the carolina panthers will have this dynamic passing attack if you look a couple of years down the line, Dalvin Cook will almost certainly not have value. DJ Moore, even if things continue to transpire poorly, will have some. It'll be less. As we work through this, and we're thinking about maximizing the value of the roster now versus continuing to keep open some of these paths through a couple of years from now, what are the main things that jump out to you in terms of what we should do with this. Does the fact that Damian Harris again looked good last week and the Patriots appear to be an offense that will generate a lot of total running back points and an important element there because he's going to split with Ramondre Stevenson who looks even better than he does. The breakout game from Penny, obviously now he's not going to get the Lions every week and a little bit dinged up. Does the performance of those players influence how we would think about bringing a Dalvin Cook onto this team? Now this wouldn't be a straight up trade. At this point, we're, we're more or less willing to do it straight up. Our league mate wants us to kick in something else. That part is probably manageable, figuring that out, but it, it is something that is still a hurdle. But we were also talking about maybe we wouldn't even feel comfortable doing the straight up trade at this point. Obviously, we've talked a lot about DJ Moore. We probably don't need to talk too much about him, but where are you with Dalvin Cook and 
these other running backs and what Dalvin Cook might do for us as the final piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the tricky thing because we do have Saquon and we have so much receiver depth and even tight end depth that we might be flexing tight ends in this tight end premium format. We're basically a two running back team. And with Harrison Penny as our number twos, co-number twos, if you will, and Dalvin Cook obviously has a legit weekly ceiling uh, and would be an addition that's worthwhile on basically any roster. But I guess in, in some respects, I look at this roster and it is interesting because we, I mean, what I think a week ago, it felt like a no brainer, but we, we saw good stuff from Harris and Penny. We also had some pretty big question marks poked into some of our young receivers who've been performing really well, but Drake London is on this roster, right? And week four was not great for anyone in Atlanta. Obviously they, they barely throw Garrett Wilson, is on this roster and we're so excited about both of them going forward, but Zach Wilson taking over, put a little bit of cold water on his 2020 out 2022 outlook. Uh, Elijah Moore also on this roster. So you have both of the jets receivers getting impacted by that. I don't think DJ Moore is going to be amazing. Uh, I do think, you know, he gets the 11 target game and, and like Carolina can't almost be worse. Like one week on, there's a part of me that's like, he add like we almost need the receiver depth. He adds more immediately startable. And I don't know how startable, right? Like we're pretty down on, on what more can bring to the table, but I'm at least hopeful that he's going to have some, some big games and, and at least a usable floor going forward. The 11 targets this week seem to be at least some type of an indication that the Panthers are aware that they have to use him, uh, you know, kind of against their own wishes, but, it's probably not going to be great, but when we look at, you know, KJ Hamler, David Bell, Sky Moore right now, Tyler Boyd even. Boyd is probably the same player I'm kind of describing more to be in terms of just having, you know, a startable receiver. I think Moore still pretty clearly ahead in that in that comparison. But there are, I think, some scenarios where we're wondering about that second flex spot. And as we go through the buys and wanting a guy like a DJ Moore in there, we could just do three running backs. I mean, we could do Saquon cook and one of either Penny or Harris. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a little bit trickier with the receivers overall looking a little bit less exciting this week than last. And the running backs looking a little bit more exciting than last. I do think moving more in dynasty right now for the reasons that you've articulated does make a lot of sense. Uh, it provided you can get pretty fair, pretty fair value, but uh, I'm also pretty comfortable staying pat in this particular spot where, yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't feel like uh, a running back like Cook, who you know has a recurring injury risk and has some some elements to his profile that are a little bit concerning, is the, the maybe the buy that we need to make. I would agree with that. I think that when you look at this trade, I hate to ever, even with competitive teams, and that's the element of perpetual reloading, to make a move where there are a limited number of ways that that move works out, but a lot of ways that it doesn't. You have so many more paths to future value with DJ Moore, and also right. his value is about as low as it can get without him suffering a catastrophic injury, which could happen to any player, any play. Dalvin Cook could actually rehab his value quite a bit with a couple of good games. So his value could go up, but the long-term and even the, the short-term and the, the intermediate term there for him, there are a lot of risks that his value could continue to plummet if he ends up having to split more time. Now it was fluky that he lost the high value touch to Alexander Madison last week that ends up in the score. But with the chronic shoulder injury, it's likely now that he does hemorrhage some of those touches to Madison who has looked pretty good. And then you also have this element with the Vikings offense where it hasn't been quite as dynamic as hoped. Now, this could be another offense like the Broncos, where in a month we're looking at it as a real juggernaut. And then if Cook manages to stay healthy through that stretch, you maybe regret not making this trade. The other element that plays in a little bit, we have three first round picks and six second round picks in the upcoming 2023 rookie draft. We do get some offers from time to time saying, you guys have so many picks. Do you want to use them to make a move here? And, and our response is always, I mean, if it's a fair price, but we're not going to throw in a pick just because we have a lot. We generated that surplus of picks because we value them a ton. That was the whole idea. Yeah, was to have a lot of picks. 
it does give us flexibility, but I think it's important for us to also remember that flexibility, if you start to spend it frivolously, then the flexibility disappears. It's something that while we probably could make a move for Cook and moving DJ Moore, again, throwing something else in, because we have all of those picks, if Cook misses, we can withstand that play. So from that perspective, it probably makes sense to do. At the same time, because we have all of those picks, if we don't make a move now and we regret it and we need to make a move in a month or in six weeks, we'll be able to do it at that point. So it gives us less of a sense of urgency to make the move, especially right now if Harris is such a good starter at this juncture. I mean, Penny, we'd love to say that for as well, but I mean, he's the weekly questionable. So, yeah, I never really know what we're going to get get out of him. The tiebreaker, I think, Sean, is this team does still have all four of the Moors: Elijah Moore, DJ Moore, Sky Moore, and Rondell Moore. And so, you know, what are you going to do? You, you you can't have less Moors. You need more Moors. You need as many Moors as we more Moors. It's right in the name. So we don't want to break up that quartet. We're in stand pat for the time being. And it's so much fun talking fantasy football tactics with you. I'm looking forward to another really exciting, wild, crazy, weird NFL weekend in week five. We appreciate everybody hanging out with us. I'm Sean Siegel. With me is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretch. Sign up for Stealing Signals. Sign up for Stealing Lines. Join us at Rotoviz. Subscribe to the feed. Leave us a rating and review. All of those things. You guys know what to do if you want to. I know that you will. We appreciate when you guys jump in. It Sean, helps us. Uh, uh, Chris Moore's running some routes for the Texans. Should we add him? If, if, they, if they allow us to move from a 20 roster spot league to a 45 roster spot <laughs> league, I am in on Chris Moore. Just add all the Texans to be the roster spot. This has been a lot of fun. We'll talk to you guys.